Recorded live. Hi, everybody. Hello, I'm Heidi DeRoe, and I'm your host of The Mixed Experience. It's September 30th, 2016. Can you believe it? We are hurtling toward the end of the year. I'm back. I know I was gone last week. I was in Denmark doing the keynote at the University of Copenhagen on, yes, listen to this, a symposium, a two-day symposium about African-American culture in Denmark. I got to tell you, I was in my personal heaven. I had a great time. Thank you to Martin Bone and all of the other participants in the symposium. I just walked away super energized. So I just have a couple small announcements before I welcome these two amazing women on as my guests today. I'm kind of freaking out because I really find them so inspirational, and uh, I think you will too. But before we talk to them, I wanted to let you know that there is this other labor of love I have called the Mixed Remixed Festival. It's a 501c3 nonprofit arts organization, and it's an all-volunteer project. Well, we're going into 2017. Uh, We still haven't officially, officially announced our date, but we have June 10th, 2017 down as the date. So uh, you guys are kind of in the know before everyone else, but we'll be sending out a big announcement uh, later this month, actually. And then the other thing is uh, that we are doing an online book club so that we can connect with each other more often during the year. Our inaugural pick for the book club is Matt Johnson's book, excellent book, Loving Day. We'll be getting together online in a call like this next Tuesday, October 4th at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific. You can call in and ask questions. I'll be co-hosting it with uh, Jamie Moore, who is our literary and workshop coordinator for the festival and a wonderful writer in her own right. We'll be uh, guiding the discussion. We'll be taking your questions. You can also go to Goodreads and ask questions there. You can chat in uh, your questions as well next week. So if you want more information, just go to the website of the festival, mixremix.org, and then in that search box on the top right, just type in Loving Day, and you'll see all the information. Um, The links are too long for me to speak out loud here. So I'm really excited to hear from you. Um, I also, by the way, have Matt Johnson on this show next Tuesday morning at 11 a.m. Pacific as well. So Stay tuned for that. A lot of great stuff. Now, I'm going to go straight to our guest now because I'm getting over nervous. You know how you get excited about something and then ah, you kind of short circuit. So I don't want to short circuit. Let me go straight to telling you a little bit about our guest. Uh, through this connection, um, I'm just hoping like you get as energized by their story and and about their wine as, as I am. So here's a little bit about them. Though they were raised uh, continents apart, Robin and Andrea were growing up around vineyards and developing wine regions in Monterey, California, and Marlboro, New Zealand. And they each have their own ideas and appreciation for the craft of winemaking, but they didn't even know that until they were halfway through their lives. So finally, they found each other in 1999, and they obviously formed this incredible bond as sisters, but then grew in their interest with wine as well. They have created what is a really extraordinary company, the McBride Sisters Wine Company. It uh, started off with Ecolove with wines from New Zealand, and they now have True Bay Wines from the central coast of California. 
the wine company sells more than 1.2 million bottles of wine per year. And uh, I read in an interview that last year they were making uh, $5 million in sales. That was last year, and they're only getting bigger. I am so excited to welcome to the show today these two wonderful entrepreneurs, uh, these two sisters, the founders of the McBride Sisters Wine Company, Robin and Andrea. Welcome. Thank you. That That's quite an intro. You're very sweet. <laughs> well, I, I'm going to gush a little bit more, so uh, I hope you won't mind. I just feel so excited to talk to two women who, in collaboration, have created something that's so amazing and you're also mixed chicks, like you're an inspiration <laughs> to all of us, you know? Uh, so I'm so glad you're here. I think I may have lost Andrea just for the moment, but I'm hoping she'll be able to call in uh, again. But Robin, okay. let me start with you. Uh, mm-hmm. This is the traditional first question, and um, there's no right answer, but what are you? You know... It's. I'm so glad you asked that question. It kind of took me a lifetime to come up with that answer. And it sounds like we've all had the same experience. But, um, you know, as a kid, I still, it's still hard to believe that people can look you in the eye and say, what are you? Um, I never really knew the proper answer. But at a certain point, I just started saying human. And, you know, the reaction, <laughs> well, I mean, you know, and it's like then the reaction was just kind of nervousness and then you don't know how to answer it. But, you know, I, I try, um, I mean, I stand firmly in the place that I am biracial. And, um, you know, we have a lot of uh, different things going on in our society and our culture right now, which at times one might feel like, um, you know, we're perceived um, as black or, or, you know, treated in conversation and otherwise as black. And it's, you know, we, we find ourselves, I think, um, advocating on that, that end. Um, but, you know, we are, I consider myself um, biracial and human. I mean, it is that complicated, too, because it is. You, you can be biracial and you can also be black. So, right. you know, I've noticed a lot in the media that there's been around your story, there, there has been an emphasis on being um, women mm-hmm. of color or black women, vintners, but it's also refreshing to know that you you embrace the whole of that story. That yes, you're 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 black vintners, but you're also biracial, and mm-hmm. it's that complicated. It's so wonderful to and refreshing to see that. Um, yeah. So tell me a little bit about, and I don't want to spend a whole lot of time about it because I really want to hear about this empire you're building, and I really uh-huh. recognize that you're building an empire here. But you grew up in Monterey. Was right. that a very isolating experience in terms of being a mixed kid? It was, actually. It was. And, and Monterey, and, you know, I love, I love the place that I grew up in. Um, and, and it's very, you know, it's a vacation town, a resort town. It has a lot of history. Um, and it didn't have, at least when I was a child, um, a whole lot of diversity. So in my I mean, as far as I could walk or see, there was no other kids of, of color um, where I was growing up, of anything. And so, um, you know, it was, it's difficult. And, and that being said, also, I was, you know, part of our story is that neither Andrea or I 
um, grew up knowing our father, who is our um, black parent. And so I was raised by my mother, who is of German descent. You know, she's she's white. <laughs> um, so you know, it's you know my 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 mother is white. My neighbors are white. My the the people you know, other children in my school are white. And as a little kid, you don't really know all of those things. But, of course, society starts feeding you, you know, um, information about yourself and how you're perceived. And so there were yes. definitely challenges. Is You know, I didn't understand. I mean, I see that I'm, you know, a little different or whatever, but I still like Hopscotch, you know. But a lot of kids, as as is part of our society and probably any culture, you know, are um, – groomed by their families and their and their families' views. So early on, I was already trying to understand, you know, what it meant. Um, and this is, you know, when I was a kid, it was in the 70s. So we've done all of our, you know, at the time, civil rights movements and, you know, everything was progressing along, but I just didn't have um, anyone else of color around me to help me kind of navigate how, how my race and, and my ethnic background fit into the society that I was in. And there was some mean things said and, you know, kids are, kids can be cruel, you know, but it was definitely um, not until later in my life. And one of the best parts when I met my sister, of course, who was also biracial, that I really, you know, felt the true, I guess, kind of understanding of my biracial, my mixedness, as you said. <laughs> yes. Well, so we, we have Andrea back on the line. Andrea, I'm sorry, we lost you there for a moment. Um, I, I think you were able to hear a little bit about what your sister said, but she got to answer the question that we always ask our guests first, which is, what are you? I, I don't know. Do you have an answer for that? Or do you have many answers, which is usually the case? I think the simple but not simple answer to that is I think of myself as an African-American New Zealander. Um, I love it. <laughs> And so, um, you know, I, I I was born in L.A., you know, I'm, I'm an American, um, but I was raised in New Zealand by my mother, um, who was a New Zealander. Um, and I think, you know, my upbringing, um, like when I talk about my culture, a, a lot of what has defined me happened in New Zealand. Um, and... Um, a lot of the shared values that we have in New Zealand around community and people um, that are important to me now is, is, you know, I attribute to my upbringing from 6 to 18. Um, I didn't really get to explore um, my African-American culture until I was at university, until I came back to the United States to study. Um, and so I feel like I'm 50-50. You know, I, I completely... Um, completely relate to both um, and kind of feel like, you know, in society, you know, people, I'm six foot one, <laughs> you know, um, people look at me and think of me as a black woman and that's fine, but I just don't really let people define me and, um, and I just, I am who I am. Well, so I, I love this story that actually created the winery, but also created your relationship. You two grew up, obviously, basically in kind of two different worlds that were strangely also similar. Um, you didn't 
Robin, you didn't even know that Andrea existed, as I understood it. How right. Can you explain how the two of you actually found each other later in life? Um, well, sure. And so I, I did not. I had no idea that um, I had a little sister. And just kind of going back to our story, um, I'm nine years older, and my parents split up. Uh, we were both born in Los Angeles. But when my parents split up, my mother had no contact. Um, with our dad after that point. So she moved from uh, from L.A. up to Monterey, and, you know, she just raised me. She, she didn't remarry, um, didn't have any other children. So it was just she and I and no contact with our dad. So, of course, I had no way of knowing that um, he, you know, remarried and had, uh, had my sister. Um, and so kind of uh, fast forward, he, back in 90, I always get this wrong because I wasn't, I wasn't present, five or six or something like that was um, ill, diagnosed with a, with a terminal cancer. And his, um, he asked his family to, to find both of us. Uh, he was out of touch with, with both Andre and I at that point. And um, so his brother, his, he has a bunch of brothers and sisters. So our aunts and uncles all kind of rallied around and started out on this search to find both of us and to connect both of us. And this was in um, this was in the '90s, so this, so this um, is pre-social media, pre-Google, right. pre-internet. This is like old school writing letter yeah. search kind. It's it's, wow. yep, it's 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 sleuthing, sleuthing the, the old-fashioned way. So, and, <laughs> you know, and, and because of that, you know, there wasn't a fast uh, a fast way to, to find either of us. And they found um, they connected with Andrea. Before he passed, actually, she connected with him, um, and then it took another another few years to locate me. Um, and when they did, and it was, you know, just like you said, letters that they were handwriting and mailing out all over to, you know, I don't know how many they sent out, but ultimately I received one. And um, so I learned, and he had passed at that point. And so I learned all at once that, you know, our father had passed away. He passed in '96, um, but that I had a little sister. They've been trying to, you know, find me and connect the two of us. And her name is Andrea, and she lives in New Zealand, and you know, all of this stuff kind of all at once. So as soon as I got that letter, is when I I found out that I had a sister, and she had, you know, known about me for a few years from him. Um, but fortunately, this is how, like our story, we always say, like the stars aligned, and there's kismet and serendipity, and who knows, who knows, who knows what it is, but when I, re- when I got the letter, Andrea was visiting the States from New Zealand um, at the same time, so I was able wow. to call, call our aunt who wrote the letter um, that was sent out, and who, I had just moved to Atlanta, Georgia, and our dad, is his, him and his family are from Alabama, so I was, and she was in Alabama, Andrea was visiting in Alabama with our family, so I was able to literally read the letter, pick up the phone, and call our aunt. Um, and talked to my sister on the phone that same day, and we were able to meet in person the next day. So this is the part of the story that actually gives me goosebumps. Each time I've heard an interview with you guys talking about this, that you fly into LaGuardia, and I, uh-huh. I guess, Robin, you're you're walking off of the plane, uh-huh. and you see Andrea, and what was your reaction? Well, my reaction was that um, I was seeing an image of myself in a mirror at the end of the jetway. And we have to keep in mind, like, based on how, how we learned about each other, the timing of everything, I had absolutely no idea what she looked like. I don't think she knew what I looked like. 
um, our dad being African-American, I didn't know if she was mixed also. Like, I, I just had no idea. Oh, and my I'm, gosh. And so if you, I mean, you've seen, seen us on things. So we, we look like sisters pretty well, you know. But, I mean, I've never seen, like, I've never seen anybody that looks that much like me. So my initial just, you know, subconscious reaction was like, oh, that's me, you know, in a, in a, in a reflection. And, um, and because, of course, we were, we still, we still unfortunately show up in the same outfits a lot. But back in those <laughs> days, back, back in the 90s, um, we both were, you know, we were like rocking Tommy Hilfiger. We both looked like boys. We had like long curly hair. Everything was red and green and yellow. And um, so our outfits were even the same, you know, so my brain was totally just messed up. And then when I realized that the image was not walking and moving as I was walking and moving. And then that's like the second it just, you know, sunk in, like I'm looking at my sister for the first time that I didn't, you know, 24, 48 hours ago, I didn't even know I had. And she looks like my sister. Okay. This is giving me chills again, because there's something so powerful. I think especially as someone who's mixed, you grow up feeling often so alone, so unlike anyone else especially uh-huh. if you don't have a sibling growing up with you. I had I had two brothers, so I had that feeling of there is no other girl who exists who looks like me or has my experience. Um, uh-huh. But Andrea, what, what was going on with you in that moment when you saw your sister? I was, it was, it was a crazy time because um, it was January. Um, there were crazy snowstorms. And Robin's flight was delayed by like four or five hours. Oh God! So, so <laughs> this, you know, this was like pre nine eleven. So we were just waiting at the gate for hours, and I just like remember having a feeling like, you know, maybe she's just not gonna come. You know, it kind of I had known about her for so long, and things had had you know come together. Um, it felt for me over a long period of time, I was 16 when we met, you know, so, and I found out about Robin when I was 13. I just, you know, which when you're, you laugh about that now, because it's, it's really not that long of a period of time. It's a lifetime. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, um, you know, but I, I just remember feeling so anxious and just wondering if it was actually going to happen. Um, and then, you know, when I saw her, I just, my eyes locked right on her and, you know, we recognized each other immediately. And I just remember just as she got close to me, you know, just putting my arms out and hugging her. Um, and then, you know, just my natural reaction, because I'm the crybaby out of two of the both of us, <laughs> is I just, I just cried, you know. I just, it was just such an emotional experience. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I can't even imagine what it would feel like to suddenly feel at home. I mean, this was family to you that you had been searching for. It's just such a powerful story. Now, from there, I mean, obviously, you you guys get to know each other a little bit. How did you figure out that you both enjoyed wine or had this interest in actually doing something with wine? I think it started from, you know, we, we met in the airport, and then, um, you know, our family was incredibly excited. It was a big moment for everybody. And I remember getting back to our cousin's apartment in New York and, you know, Robert and I sitting on the couch and <laughs> kind of like our family members sitting in front of us, kind of with, 
this kind of look and expression on their face, like, okay, like, your sisters, go, be sisters. And we didn't really <laughs> – and we we really needed um, private time just between the two of us, you know, just to kind of talk um, and be able to talk openly. So Robin said to everybody, well, you know, we're going to go grab a coffee and, and just the two of us are going to just, you know, spend some time together. And – I remember, I remember it being such an awesome experience because we actually ended up at a bar, you know, and I'm from this, <laughs> you know, small little country at the bottom of, of the Southern Hemisphere and I'm 16 and I'm in New York City and I'm in a bar, you know, with my new big sister. Um, and I just remember just thinking it was like the coolest thing ever. But kind of in that experience, we just started kind of downloading on each other like the natural first questions were what was it like where you grew up, you know, just kind of like sharing our experiences and just, you know, really forming our bond. And we found out really quickly that we both, funnily enough, to Robin to say, like the stars aligning again and serendipity, we both grew up in these small agricultural towns that were transitioning to become burgeoning wine regions. And on the outside looking in, we figured out at a young age that wine was this thing that, you know, it didn't, it usually wine businesses were family oriented, but it actually didn't matter. Like if you were blood family, it was like a community of people taking care of this product, you know, for a year coming together, harvesting, making this beautiful product. And it always, it always involved good, you know, food. It always involved family, friends and people. And it was always our observation was it was always a happy time. And so yeah. for us, being these, you know, being raised as only children, you know, I I was growing up in foster care. I'd lost my mother to breast cancer. Um, shortly after we moved to New Zealand, it was just we were attracted to this industry where it was happy and it felt like family. Um, and so when we when we met and we kind of started to talk about how crazy it was that we grew up in these wine regions and that, we wanted to make wine and then just kind of, again, the stars aligning, we kind of just put it out there and said, well, you know what? One day we're going to own a wine business together and we laughed about it, you know? And, and that <laughs> well, I'm, just, I'm glad um, you, like, took it seriously, though, at some point. I mean, <laughs> because the, the truth is, one, winemaking generally is a man's business and it definitely isn't a business that has been welcoming or uh, very open to minorities in it. I, I was trying to get a count. I wasn't able to, but I, I think I found maybe half a dozen different wineries in the U.S. that are owned by people of color. That, mm-hmm. that seems so insane. But So mm-hmm. you're faced with this what seems like insurmountable. I mean, you're going into an industry that, you know, doesn't take women seriously, doesn't necessarily take minorities seriously. How were you able to take yourself seriously? Like what what was that what was the story you were telling yourself to keep you going, I guess? Well well so 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 thank goodness for naivete because yes. we actually we, we, we actually didn't consider any of that. That had that was not on our radar at all. I mean both Andrea and I, everything that we'd done to that point in our life, we'd kind of, you know, um uh, what's a good way to say? I don't want to say clawed our way through it, but we've had to have, you know, been very self-reliant. Um, we have, you know, just taken it upon ourselves to accomplish anything that we set out to do. 
And that never really occurred to us as we decided, you know, we want to squeeze our way into the wine business. You know, what we thought about was outstanding products. What we thought about was, you know, route to market. We thought about all of the typical business things. And, you know, it's clear now, obviously, you look at the wine industry and it's not, it's not diverse and there's not a lot of women that lead it. Um, but we walked smack dab into it, you know, on the basis and the merits of the work that we'd done and the product that we were trying to provide. And then... You started EcoWines while Andrea was still in college. Yeah. And well, we started our first... Our first company was uh, importing and then distributing and then we... And, and uh, when she was still in school. And then a few years later after that success, then we launched our own brand, which was EcoLove Wine. But so once we went out with these products and then it was like, oh... Here's reality. The reality is, <laughs> the reality is that our challenge actually isn't um, bringing these amazing wines to the wine community. Our challenge is convincing people um, of the fact that we know our stuff and what mm. business we have doing in this industry in the first place. Those, you know, those were the questions that we had. It, w- it took us in the beginning. We were just amazed because we had to outline our entire story and explain who we were and how we, how we were sitting here with these wines and was it our parents? Were we sales reps? Did we work for somebody, you know? And it was just, it was completely amazing to us that we had to kind of, con- and it's basically where we started kind of, you know, uh, formulating um, a, a, quick, <laughs> a quick answer, you know, our background story because we couldn't get past it to get to the product. So that was the mm. first part that was the first part where we realized we were in an industry that wasn't accustomed to seeing people like ourselves at the helm of a wine company, not just working, you know, as a, a salesperson or a distributor rep, but who actually owned it. That's when, that, that's, that's when we saw how antiquated um, the atmosphere was in wine. Well, you've been growing the business now for, for many years. Uh, and then you started Truve Wines just last year. Um, tell me a little bit about Truve. Yeah, so we actually started Truve two years ago. Um, we It took us about four years um, in total, um, a couple of years before the launch. And basically, um, our mission was that, you know, we'd started this wine company in New Zealand and you know, that's my backyard and that's where I grew up. Our vision was that we always wanted to be able to make wine where Robin grew up. Um, and so we ventured into the Central Coast and um, and started talking to different growers and different farmers. And um, and then, you know, we kind of put our mind to it and, and you know, gained some really great partners. And then um, we launched True Bay. Well, it's at my um, local grocery store across the street, which is (laughs) very exciting to me. (laughs) Um, And and it's really fantastic. And and part of your mission also is to help educate people about wine, because I think there is a lot of um, not, what am I trying to say? There's, There's a sense that you have to know a certain something to understand wine or to really enjoy good wine but you guys your sensibility is really we can have a great product at a great you know price that's actually available to a general public and now we get to teach people a little bit about wine what has that process been like for you it's been fun you know I think I think 
one of the things that we bring to the wine business is, you know, because we bring this different perspective of like different cultures, the way that we think about wine is not, I think, in line or, you know, with the tradition of how wine is done a lot of times. And so we're putting our own spin on, on what we know works well for, you know, our culture, for our generations. Um, and, you know, wine should be fun. It shouldn't be this, like, really serious thing that you, like, sit around and ponder and have really super geeky academic conversations about. I mean, it can be, <laughs> it, it can be that, and there is a time and there's a place for that. But for the most part, you know, wine should be fun and you know, if people want to be able to understand a little bit more about what they're drinking so that it helps them understand maybe other different varieties to go and explore and choose, you know, that's what it should be about. Um, and so we, you know, we we love to do events and, you know, have partner up with great chefs um, and just have fun. You know, we just did a great dinner um, in Las Vegas um, with Jose Andres, um, who is the the chef of Bazaar, um, and it was fun, you know, and, and and that's what wine and food and people should be about. What I love about your story and the way you talk about the reason you're interested in wine and the connection that you have with each other and your philosophy, your philosophy around the the product being really good, but also having like happiness around it. All of this makes me have really good feelings when I have your wine and it makes me think of this oh, Danish okay. word that doesn't have it doesn't have a translation that's very good in English um, it's hygglit it's spelled h-y-g-g-e-l-i-g-t and hmm. it's usually translated as cozy but that doesn't really that doesn't really do it it's more like a Danish state of mind which means like you're having a good time with family and friends and probably there's probably wine. There's probably, you know, good, there's definitely good food. Uh, you know, there are candles and music and it's kind of like everything good. And because of the story that you guys have around the wine and also even hearing more of it today, it, it just makes me think your wine is hygglit. Like it's the perfect embodiment of happy, good times. And connection, which also yeah. isn't a great translation, but that, that's I, I, I love it. Well, we'll try um, to we'll have to try to we'll have to try to work that into a sentence somehow. But that's awesome. Yeah. You know, we have to send us that word. I will send it to you, but it's a little bit like Farfanugan. It's hard for people to say, you know. Um, so it, I've kept you too long, almost I think, but I just have to ask you. Uh, I read about how you actually got to serve your wines at a Selma, the movie, a pre-Oscar bash. What mm -hmm. was that like? That is blowing my mind to know that, like, all that talent was there. We were telling this really important story in African-American history, and they were having your wine? What? Mm -hmm. <laughs> it was so awesome. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It, blew, it blew our minds, too. You know, we uh, we really didn't actually anticipate what we were walking into. Um, you know, we got someone reached out to us and said, you know, hey, um, Common is, is hosting this party. Would you guys like to be a part of it? Um, you know, he really he really loves sangria. Would, could we make a red wine sangria? We said, of course. And then they said, would you like to come? And we said, of course. 
what we didn't realize was that, you know, it was an intimate party with the cast and, you know, a few of their close friends and acquaintances. And so in the room um, at this restaurant, you know, you had Oprah Winfrey, you had Gail King, you know, you had Beyonce and Jay-Z and Kelly Rowland. And only I was going to say, I was going to say, if you're if you're close friends or you know Oprah and Jay Z and Beyonce, you know it's that kind of dinner party. We had no idea. <laughs> and so it's just so of, awesome. And so we kind of were just stunned, you know. <laughs> we didn't um, anticipate it, um, but you know we got to chat with Oprah, and that was like amazing because for us it kind of just brought our things full circle for us, and you know a lot of a part of our family finding us was um, they watched an Oprah episode and she had featured private detectives on how you find displaced loved ones and recommended a book and different things. And so that was really the catalyst for our family finding and connecting us. And so to have her drinking our wines and, you know, she's here. And then, you know, our family um, was a really big part of civil rights, civil rights movement in Alabama and lived very close to Selma our family lives in Selma now. Oh, gosh, right. Um, yes. There's yeah. that connection, too. Oh, my yeah. gosh. Full circle. You're, it's a full and, circle. And, and when we got to meet, you know, Oprah sitting down at, 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 her, at, the, at her plate at the table, and she was drinking our Chardonnay, and she loved it and all these things, and Andrea just kind of, like, you know, <laughs> swooped in on her to say, you know, we – you know, pleasure to meet you. We're so excited. And, you know, we have the story that involves, you know, one of your shows from blah, blah, blah. And so, like, another huge pinch me is that Oprah's like, oh, the McBride sisters, I know all about your story. Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) And we're just like, okay, where are we right now? What's happening to us? (laughs) Wow. Okay. Well, so, I mean, where do you, where do you go from here? You guys are having this amazing, wonderful, well-deserved success. What's next for you? So much. What's next? Yeah, we're we're actually working on doing a, like a food and wine event tour next year, which would be, um, you know, city, 10 major cities, and we'll, it'll be like a mix of some of our favorite chefs, um, our wines. We have a few surprises coming out next year. Um, and we just kind of want to expand on, you know, the, what you kind of talked about before. I can't pronounce the word in Danish. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'll send you a but, file, too, that has the audio version of it. Um, but, you know, we want to we wanna create these really cool events where you can taste wine, you can learn about wine, you know, there's great food, you know, music, um, and, you know, you can come out and hang out with us. So we... That's a big part of what we have going on next year, um, and we should have the details up on our website uh, in the beginning of next year. I, and, I am yes. What else? <laughs> I say, and we have um, just. I mean, a lot, and it's really about you know our goal to you know spread the word about wine and make people comfortable exploring um, about wine and finding their own path on on their wine journey. Um, and so, with that, I mean, we have. Um, our wine club, which we just recently launched, which is our direct um, private club for our reserve wines. And we send out like lots of information and it gives people access to our sort of prized wines, but, you know, to be able to be part of a community of people um, 
uh, you know, learning about wine. We also are working on um, our book that we've put off for quite some time, but um, we really want to be able. Very exciting! I hadn't heard of that. Yeah, I don't think we said. I don't think we said it out loud yet. But um, oh, now you have. <laughs> I know uh, on the book, um, and then we have um, a whole new um, line of wines that we're producing. Um, and there'll be more. We'll release all of that information even more, but we're going to have lots of really new, creative, interesting varieties that we're going to um, have out in the market in the spring of next year. Um, and what else? We have a lot. It, I mean, <laughs> There's a lot it's, going it's on. a lot. It's, you, you're moguls now is what you are. You're moguls. I don't and, know. <laughs> I don't know well, about that. <laughs> yeah. Well, you're it, maybe in the making but you're definitely such an incredible inspiration. I mean, to me, and I i mean, I don't know. I know I'm fangirling right now, but I just am so impressed by what you've done, the way you're growing the business. Um, the collaboration works so well. I love your wine. I love feeling hooked when I'm drinking it. And I just love you guys. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We love you back. Thank you. <laughs> Well, you guys, thank you so much for being on the show today. Uh, we will make sure we get people out there checking out your wines. Um, thank you for sharing your story. And we're going to be on the lookout to see what happens next. We're huge fans. All right. Thank you for having us. Thank you, guys. We'll talk again soon, I hope. Yes, absolutely. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Okay. They are so great. Uh, they're fantastic. You know, it's just really exciting when you meet people, and I know I've only met them online here, but to know their story about how they had this idea and, you know, they decided that they were going to do something that mattered to them, that interested them, and they were going to do it at the highest level, and then they have, and they continue to grow this uh, company their wines are fantastic. You definitely have to go pick it up. You can find it in grocery stores, uh, at least in California. I know I can find Truve at Ralph's, which is great because it's not that far from my house. Uh, and it's really fantastic wine as well. Check out their website, um, McBrideSistersWinery.com. I don't know if I got that right, but it's on my website, and you can click through. These are just really wonderfully talented um, dynamic entrepreneurs and I'm just excited they got to share their story with me and with you today. Okay, I'm going to calm down now. I've just been really nervous about talking to them because I, I just admire them greatly. This is it for today's show. I'm back again next week a couple of times. On Monday, I'm speaking with Lori Tharps, who's written a really fantastic new book that I read in one sitting yesterday. It's called uh, Same Families, Different Colors. I think I messed up the title, uh, but I'll, I'll say it again. But Lori Tharps, it's a great read. It's about families that have different skin tones in their families, like all of our families probably, and what that means to kids growing up and to family dynamics. It's a great history uh, great interviews, and it's a really good read, too. I mean, it's a nonfiction book that reads, not like a novel, but you want to know more. Uh, and Lori's voice is just so present in it, which is great. So that's Monday. Tuesday, I talked to Matt Johnson, the author of Loving Day, at 11 a.m. on Tuesday 
Pacific time. And that's a lot. So <laughs> tune in again next week. Thanks for joining me. If you have comments, uh, email me at Heidi at HeidiWDeroe.com. You can also tweet me at Heidi DeRoe. I'd love to hear from you. Thanks for joining me today. I will talk to you again next week. Bye, guys.